This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn up to 4.58% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, you need to ask yourself, how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Compare IBKR's ability to pay you interest of up to 4.58% to other brokers who can only pay you less than one half percent. You know who they are. And that's just one of the many reasons clients use interactive brokers to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. When placing your money with a broker, you need to make sure your broker is secure and can endure through good and bad times. IBKR's strong capital position, conservative balance sheet, and automated risk controls are designed to protect IBKR and its clients from large trading losses. Their prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you higher interest and with demonstrated security and financial strength. Of course, we know that rates are subject to change. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. It's that time again. Earnings season is upon us. Markets in a new bull run, no question, but it's getting a little frothy. Inflation now only at 3%. But of course, that's against a pretty substantial high watermark from a year ago. And our guest today, Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst for Briefing.com. All this and much more on episode number 825 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hope you're doing as well as I am. I got to tell you something. A couple of vacation days doing, well, not the normal that we do all the time. And I feel like a new man. As a quick intro to you newbies to the show, this is the Discipline Investor Podcast. I'm Andrew Horowitz and I am the host. I've been doing this for about 15 years now. And it was, I guess, you know, 15 years ago that it was, at that point it was like, what's a podcast? You know, it was early in the game. And I got the opportunity to develop the sh develop a show, work actually with Apple and the people in Cupertino back then. It was really kind of a cool thing to do. And this is now considered the longest running independent financial podcast in the history, in the history of podcasting. So I'm going to keep that going for a while, keep it rolling. It's a lot of opportunity for me to spend time with not only you, but also it gives me a... a a moment each and every week to really reflect on what's going on, my thoughts, more so than just the usual, more so than just the writing of things for my clients, more than the analysis of the investments, the outlook for the economy. It really gives me a time to, to work on what it would be that I would impart to others about what's happening. The other thing that's really great about the show, and if you don't know this by now, it's something you need to key into, is that I get to talk to some of the greatest people in the industry 
about what's going on with regard to the markets, the economics, investments, outlook, and, and sometimes not exactly on point to an exact investment. We talk around it and do educational components. That not only helps you, but you know what? It helps me. It helps me be a better investor, understand more about markets, and learn from the best that are out there and keep current with everything that's going on. So, you know, I, I manage money, right? That's what we do. So keeping current with the information for what I am actually doing for here and now for my clients, invest for, for clients investing for people just like you is what it's all about. And yes, we have set the bar so that everybody basically that wants to work with us can. We have different levels of investing from you know, we can invest your money in, in ETS mutual funds and a variety of other functions at 10,000 individual equities going short uh, options in our positioning over at um, our TDI managed growth strategy. And then, of course, it goes up from there. But basically, everybody's available to work with us. Just go over to the disciplineinvestor.com. You can check out all the things that are there. Now, uh, one more thing before we get to our guest, because I do want to get to our guest early today. I'm really excited to have... Patrick on the show, uh, everybody's been talking to me about this whole game of pickleball, and I've been like, all right, I'll get to it. I got a racket, I got some balls, I got a glove, I got sneakers, you know, just tennis shoes or court shoes, whatever you want to call them. I was ready this week, last week. I, uh, I actually went out. It was uh, late in the afternoon on a uh, hot, hot afternoon in the summer in Florida. Five o'clock, I played for about 45 minutes, learning the ropes of the kitchen and dinking and how to serve and how to score and singles and doubles rules and things like that. Fun game. It's a fun game. It's miniature tennis, ping pong, slash a few other sports with a racket thrown in, maybe badminton, I guess, to a degree, but still just as hard in Florida. And as we get older, <clears throat> a little bit easier that the court is that much less to run with, but there was still a lot of running, a lot of huffing and puffing going on by the time I was done. So a lot of fun with that. If you haven't tried pickleball, I think it's kind of, kind of a, kind of a, um, a bit of fun. Now we were, last week we had a quarter end month end, if you will, market recap and talked about all the things that were going on. And really nothing has changed that dramatically this week. The idea of just buying everything and we have a very weak, uh, central bank right now that looks like they're going to just, you know, throw in the cards of any, uh, well, at least this is the, what I see as the investor side of things. We'll get into this discussion, discussion with Patrick in a minute too, but also some of the things that we're seeing with regard to rulings, antitrust, uh, crypto, every single thing is showing how weak this administration and the people that are involved in the various components of regulatory environment are just so weak. And as such, I think that investors are like, you know what? Let's take advantage of this. What the hell? When a time that people are very concerned about this or that, they're taking the eye off the ball. They're getting, you know, uh, very, I would say, uh, uh, dovish with what they do from a regulatory standpoint. No teeth. So why not? What the hell? The probability at this point, I guess, it may be a, Bitcoin ETF from BlackRock or maybe Fidelity is, is really growing. And, you know, even though the uh, Ripple 
discussion last week where Ripple was okay as a non-security, but it was a security if it was sold internationally, in, in, uh, institutionally, and then how the uh, you know that reaction with Coinbase and Rip and Ripple and all the other securities really popped the moment that ruling came out, which is still very convoluted. There's still a lawsuit going on. Um, and then on top of it, some of the other things that are just dragging their feet and just letting go of, I think the whole thing really does amass to this idea that there is a lot of weakness out there. And of course, the players in the market will take advantage of that. We'll talk more about that, I think, with our guest. And as promised today, our guest today, this is a special guest because he's the chief market analyst uh, for a company called Briefing.com. His name is Pat O'Hare. And I got to tell you something, uh, Pat, I've told you I am a loyal uh, briefing.com. I, I just, uh, it, it's, it's kind of the air I breathe during the, seriously, I'm not kidding. It's like the air I breathe during the day to understand what's happening with markets. So thank you so much for the product you put out. Oh, you're more than welcome, Andrew. And just, uh, very happy to hear that. And, uh, I can, I can relate, you know, I've been at briefing.com for, uh, almost 27 years now. So I've been breathing a lot of that air myself yeah. for, yeah. for quite some time. And what's great about it is, and I'm going to promote it by the way, even though you're not, this is not an advertisement by the way today, you know, at all, but I'm going to promote it because I'm, <laughs> the reason is that there's real money on the line in a lot of the, in, in the trading that goes on, there is uh exceptional amount of, of knowledge. So one of my favorite times, probably not, not yours, but because of what happens. One of my favorite times to really lean in on and rely on briefing is during earnings season, right? Where stuff is happening fast and furious. And briefing gets that data out like quick. Like for example, you know, you have a company that comes out with uh, earnings of X and, you know, the stock is doing whatever it's doing. But to understand that analysis, your guys are amazing at putting together a very quick down and dirty, like, okay, here's what it is. Here's what expectations were, and here's why the thing is doing what it's doing. I know it's well, well, kind of frantic. Right? Yeah, well, thank yeah, thank you. You know, I mean, we try to live up to uh, the, the namesake briefing, right? Yeah, well, people yeah. don't have a lot of time; they just want to know what's important, why it's important, and uh, in the spirit of of most of our users who are self directed, that gives them the confidence to make the decisions they need to make, whether they're short term trading decisions or longer term investment uh, decisions. Now, you do a lot of work at briefing, of course, as the chief uh, chief market analyst, but. Um, also, you are the author of page one is kind of like the, well, as it says, page one, like go there and figure out what's going on today. That's the page one. The big picture, which is, as the name implies, you know, kind of a step back. Let's take a look, right? Um, the yep. Fed brief, market view, economic um, data reviews and all that. So there's a lot of commentary and then, of course, live in play. So um, I want to talk about. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I want to continue on to talk about briefing for a second because I want to explain to people what I do. My briefing, the way I set it up, and, and I'm, I'm using this time to my benefit here, uh, is I have dual in play set up like always just rolling throughout the day. I don't know if other people do something different, uh, you know, I, I, maybe multiple screens, but I find that that gives me a lot of, you know, depth. And, and I can set filters on certain things so I don't have to see the same things over and over, of course, right? Um, is that what a lot of people do? Yeah, it is one of our more popular uh, uh, views, if you will, uh, in terms of the customization options that we allow our, our users. Uh, and I think one of the great things, you know, um, I, I personally, I've lived on InPlay, like I said, for almost 27 years. There's not a story that 
doesn't come across it that I haven't laid eyes on. Mm -hmm. But the nice thing about it really for subscribers is that there's, you know, we describe it uh, almost as like the fire hose uh, of information, right? You're going to get a, anything that relates to like earnings, ratings changes, uh, just company news, um, uh, FDA decisions and so on and so forth. But a lot of people don't want all that and that's totally understandable. And so we provide them a nice filtering option to basically, uh, you know, give them a choice to choose the information that they want to see come across their screen. That's going to be a value to them. And so a lot of people do that in that dual in play format. Uh, and certainly some just keep it on that single live in play page, uh, and filter it that way, but they can also, you know, receive portfolio alerts. We have a portfolio option page where you can, uh, you know, put in any number of tickers you want and, uh, and select to get, you know, alerts on those names if they happen to cross our, our, our news flow. What's interesting is you could theoretically on one side have, um, all trading alerts, right. And on the other side of the screen, it's just, you know, two panes, if you will, um, have, just that fire hose you're mentioning, right? So just give me all the economic right. data that's flowing through the, you know, the alert that Bob Iger is, is, you know, going to stay on Disney for an extended period of time or what, when I remember last week, there was all of a sudden a big move. Things started like jiggling on my screen. You know what I'm talking about, right? On the, on the, on the, on the um, oh, yeah. charts, right? Things are jiggling. I'm like, Hey, what's going on over there? And uh, it catches your eye. And, and all of a sudden like Bitcoin's moving and Ethereum's moving. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, Oh, interesting. Now my first thought was what the hell's going on? And my first thought was, wow, I wonder if Fidelity or uh, BlackRock got approval for the spot Bitcoin ETF. That was my thinking, right? Till yeah. I went to briefing and I found, I looked over, it took a couple of seconds to come through. It turned out to be um, a decision on the XRP, the Ripple, where it was a security, it's not a security, it is a security if it's this, it's not in this. And then there was also something just a little bit earlier about Celsius and how Celsius was actually... Uh, bad dudes and paying, I don't know where they're getting the money right. from, but $4.5 yeah. billion. So that, and then, and then, hey, Coinbase started running. And as a matter of fact, the commentary, if I remember, because I remember this very distinctly, was this is good for Coinbase. Coinbase went from like up 5% to up like 18% in a matter of two hours. So kind of the way that you can utilize that process. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, it's it's a, it's a quick resource, right? To uh, to understand, you know, the the information that's driving a certain stock or even an industry or a sector or the broader market, really. Um, and we try to stay on top of that on the on the closest to a real time basis as we can. Um, obviously, we want to, you know, speed is important, but accuracy is of the utmost important for our users, right? right. So, um, you know, if we're not getting them the the, the right objective data, then they're not going to make the right decisions. And so, so, uh, the latency factor is, is not, is not, uh, is, is very little, but, uh, but we're very attentive to accuracy, uh, certainly, you know, above speed. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do try to, you know, make it so that, uh, you know, our users have the ability to, you know, uh, get access to the information they need in as short a time as possible so they can decide whether there's anything impactful or, you know, trading worthy in that news. Yeah, it's great stuff. Well, this is what I want to do. Um, we're going to take a very quick break. And afterwards, I'm going to get into a laundry list of questions that I have because you wrote a great piece recently. And I'll say that it relate. I'm going to call it the high bar. You know, the okay. high bar. Uh, that, 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 and that's, first of all, it's, it's, uh, it's not a place that you smoke and get stoned and a place that you go buy from at a bar. No, I'm talking about the area of 
um, economics and earnings that you're talking about. So I want to talk about that. Plus, I have a whole whole bunch of things. So let's let's take a quick break, and then we'll get right into that because I want to go right through all this and spend a lot of time with you on it. Okay? Sounds good. And I want to tell you about Interactive Brokers because did you know that Interactive Brokers charges margin loan rates? from 5.58% to 6.58%. Their clients can also earn extra income by lending their fully paid shares of stock. Join Interactive Brokers clients from over 200 countries and territories around the world to invest in stocks and options, futures, funds, and bonds globally. Minimize your cost to maximize your returns. Of course, rates are subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com compare. All right, we're back here now. Again, I want to get into this and this whole idea of high bar. So let's talk about the expectations. And one of the things that you explained, I think, really well, and I want you to talk about is the 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 differential uh, in and, and what 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 markets and and investors look at this differential of expectations to reality. Right. So there's you know there's a popular euphemism that earnings season is known as the silly season. Right. Because mm-hmm. you oftentimes see some silly uh, reactions in stock prices to earnings news. You know, and for example, you might have a, uh, you know, a company report a, a huge loss, you know, and you might think that, gosh, that's awful from a fundamental standpoint. If they're not. But the stock trades way up. You know, and then you have to take a step back and say, well, why would a stock react that way? You know, was there a ratings change? Was there, um, you know, was the loss, even though it was a big loss, not as big as expected? You know, did the company provide some guidance that was better than expected? You know, so you get a lot of like different reactions. And so I could almost, you know, take this this uh, metaphor of a high bar and, and liking it to, uh, you know, to gymnastics, right? You're kind of like twirling around on that high bar. You want to stick the landing. Uh, you know, and sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. Uh, and the, the market, you know, will will tell you whether you've hit the mark or not. But, you know, but at the same time, and we know, by the way, there are companies, many of them, that will actually be doing their conference call with someone in the background watching the reaction of the stock, giving signals. Come on. We know this, right? To mm-hmm. lighten up on the discussion or, you know, double down. And for God's sake, say AI during this earnings season if you can. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that that is for sure. <laughs> so, but so. but the high bar, this concept of going into yeah. this earnings season coming up, what what does it what does it mean now, and where are sure. we? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So qualifying that, you know, it might come as a as a surprise when I tell you when I wrote this this column on July seventh, the uh, uh, fact set consensus estimate for second quarter earnings were for S P five hundred to be down seven point four percent year over year. Since then, the blended growth estimate has actually gotten worse. It's now eight percent decline year over year. Good news. So you might be, yeah, you <laughs> might be asking yourself, you know, how is that a a high bar when you're talking about an earnings decline? And and the reason I described it the way that I did is because um, we know that the market obviously loved what it heard out of the first quarter, you know, and first quarter earnings were also down year over year. They were down two percent. But that was much better than feared going into the number. And so you had some guidance coming out of that first quarter reporting period that, you know, really kind of fueled this notion that, hey, maybe things won't be as bad as we thought they were going to be economically speaking. You know, maybe margins are going to hold up better than we thought. And so you saw stocks, you know, particularly the mega cap stocks, right, which by all 
accounts had, you know, delivered on those expectations and then some in the first quarter, you know, they led the market higher. But as we got toward the end of the second quarter, we saw uh, participation widen out and you actually saw the uh, equal weighted S&P 500 outperform mm-hmm. uh, the market cap weighted S&P 500 by about 70 basis points in June. Right. But and that it was, was just, an encouraging. It was encouraging, but it was like kind of the end like, OK, let's get everybody. Everybody get get in the pool. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it was encouraging, but from the standpoint, though, because that that is what has been missing to that argument that the economy might be better than expected. But, mm-hmm. you you know, you saw more participation there, which is which is a good signal, really. And so now as we go into the second quarter reporting period, which is going to crank up, you know, next week, the week after that, um, you have higher expectations, you know, really that you're going to hear more of the same like we heard in the first quarter in that you know, results will be better than expected. Guidance will be better than expected. And uh, and importantly, that that guidance will corroborate the outlook for earnings, for a restoration of earnings growth in the third and fourth quarters. And one final point, Andrew, is where, uh, where the bar is high here, is, and you know it, it's in valuations, right? In terms of the market cap weighted S&P 500. Have it trading at a premium valuation now, given the leadership we've had from those mega cap stocks. Trades at about a 10% premium to the 10-year historical average. Uh, and so, you know, there's a, a risk or a chance here you get good earnings news, but you don't necessarily get great reactions in the stock prices because, you know, one can make a case that a lot of the good news has been priced in already. And we're talking about, like, close to a 19 and change forward estimate on a 5%, I'm just using round numbers here, 5% Fed funds rate with – Interest rates, um, you know, possibly going higher with prices not going lower. Let's just make that clear, right? Prices not going lower and a consumer that for all intents and purposes, aside from the wealth effect right now, is, um, you know, a little bit strained. I mean, we've seen that the big issue has been that they're starting to eat into their savings, right? And then, But they're still spending. So, I mean, again, you know, we may have this AI revolution, but- that takes time. You know, this whole idea that it's going to be overnight, we're going to get this AI thing going and cranked up is kind of ridiculous. Now, it may help certain stocks, but my my question to you is, now that we're seeing 2% reduction in earnings on a year-over-year basis, 8% on the half, uh, maybe they're going to overshoot, undershoot, who knows what exactly is going to happen with the estimates. Does it seem logical, though, that there's so much enthusiasm for stocks right now with all that we know about what usually happens during an inverted yield curve, which, by the way, is very deep and is now long in the tooth. Right. And you can you know, lump onto that, that the leading economic index has been negative for 14 consecutive months. Um, you have a manufacturing sector that's in recession. <laughs> um, and yet you have an S&P 500 today that's trading higher than it was when the Fed first raised rates in March of 2022. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of getting to your question, it it does, it raises some eyebrows in terms of where we're at here. But I think it also uh, kind of reflects, you know, the knowingness that there's, there's a lot of money just floating around out there still. Um, you know, you look at money market fund assets, about five and a half trillion dollars Right. Um, and uh, there's a lot of dry powder potentially to keep this market moving. If the earnings estimate trends keep going in the way that uh, the market thinks they will go over the second half of the year and into 2024, because um, really you don't have a market that's trading on 
second quarter earnings right now. You have a market that that's trading on what it thinks it's coming and is is you know seeing that multiple expansion because it's it's believing that it's going to get that renewed earnings growth uh, not only in the second half of the year but 2024. And I'd add that you know current consensus estimates for 2024, according to facts that call for 12 percent earnings growth, uh, which is not bad at all. You know, well, that's um, the usual. So, 10% earnings growth is the standard mm-hmm. if they just stick in there yep. as a number, don't they? Yeah, pretty much. And so, but that is at least at, at this point of where we're at, where you have, you know, a premium valuation on that market cap weighted S&P 500. That's why it's important, particularly for these mega cap stocks to deliver on the high expectations. Um, and because if you don't, if they don't, you're going to see that momentum decelerate, if not disappear altogether and kind of keep the market sort of a pigeonholed here. Um, so uh, that's why really the, the expectations bar is, is a lot higher here, even though we're talking about an earnings decline in the second quarter. So why not trade on 2026 numbers at this point? <laughs> I mean, seriously, where's the end of this? I mean, it seems yeah. to me that we're just, listen, I'm not going to fight this. You don't fight it, you know, but the question is, you know, how much do you lean into it as well, right? You know, how much do you lean into a 19 times multiple considering even the fact that you have a 10% gain? Because, of, of earnings in 2024, because then you're, then you're, what are you trading at? Seven, 18, 17, you know, it's still yeah, a frothy right. valuation considering all this, considering the fact that much of everybody will tell you that the way that fed funds increases work, quantitative tightening work are it's slow seepage into the economy, right? It's just a slow mm-hmm. process, but yet people are buying houses again at 6%, 7% mortgages. And the question I ask you, when I ask you is this all started, this all started really in earnest in Marchish, we'll call it. Okay. It was mm-hmm. earnings, but it was also really after the fed once again, and the treasury unleashed amazing amounts of funds to protect the financial system from going under due to a s- several bank issues. Right. But how yep. much of that snuck into the markets? And the economy. Right. Well, it was almost like a Pavlovian reflex, right? In that, you know, there was a crisis, uh, so to speak. Uh, and the Fed came in and kind of dialed back, you know, what it was doing in terms of quantitative tightening and went back to, you know, quantitative easing measures and pretty much said, you know, don't worry, everybody, you know, we've got your back as far as it relates to depositors and that, uh, you know, uh, for better, for worse, short up, you know, confidence in the uh, in the stock market that uh, you know that that it, that you could come in and buy that weakness off off the banks, and so um, you know we saw that happen obviously in the financial crisis two thousand eight two thousand nine. Um, you know when you had that Fed put that was so so pronounced, um, and of course just going back to last year when you saw the Fed put being kind of eviscerated. Uh, and all you were hearing about was rate hikes and quantitative tightening. Um, you saw the stock market really, you know, have a hard time of it. Uh, but you know, we've we've seen you know the Fed kind of come in and put a layer of support under the market, doing what it did in March. Uh, you know, we will hear more from the banks, obviously, here in the next couple of weeks uh, to see you know what they're talking about in terms of credit quality, loan demand. You know, um, and and uh, we'll get a better qualitative view of, of whether, um, uh, you, you know, in terms of what they're seeing out there in the economy and how that could impact, 
the outlook for the second half of the year. But um, but you do have, you know, you still hear talk, obviously, of a lot of excess savings from the from the pandemic period here. Uh, we do have an unemployment rate that's still what down close to close to a fifty year low. Unbelievable. Um, and I think and it just dropped yeah, down from I mean, three seven to three six. And that's really kind of the linchpin here, right? Is this labor market? Uh, now, granted, the unemployment rate's a lagging. That's a lagging indicator, but uh, but we still have you know a pretty good cushion, if you will, to work with until you see the labor market really kind of create uh, some some cracks in the broader economy and the more positive sounding economic outlook and earnings growth outlook. And I think people are just falling back on that and also looking at potentially the fact that maybe you have a structural change taking place in the labor market. That means you will have, you know, unemployment stay lower than it would otherwise during a tightening cycle. And, you know, wage growth continue to be elevated as, you know, more of the baby boomers move out of the market. And, uh, you know, and then you have a, you know, a smaller subset of employees coming in to try to replace them. How do you reconcile or deal with the hat that you wear, let's say, as an analyst, which what you're telling me is, which I'm getting from you at least, is that, you know, there's some question as to the, uh, you know, the ability for the markets to maintain this kind of, uh, you know, growth or levels considering all the things that we know. Is that a, is that a misstatement? Yeah, I think that's, no, I think that's a, a fair characterization here, right? Um, you know, I'd add that, um, when the second quarter earnings number was, was, you know, our consensus estimates put out at the end of March, uh, earnings were expected to be down only 4.7% year over year, right? Well, since the end of March, the S&P 500 is now up close to 10%. And we've seen earnings estimates go down even more since the end of March as they relate to the second quarter. Um, you know, you just have a lot of uh, momentum in this market. You know, if you look at I'm not a technical analyst, but if you look at the, you know, the stock charts on the likes of the Meta and the Apple, and they just, you know, mm -hmm. they rise at that kind of like 45 degree angle and right. there's been no stoppage really. Um, you know, I would, I, I have to credit, you know, Mike Santoli on CNBC who said the other day is like, you know, does that, you really think there's been that much, uh, you know, fundamental improvement in, in these companies to account for that type of stock price action or to, to, to warrant that now, some people would say yes, but I think it's really when you look at it and they just kind of just go up no matter what the news is. So how do you reconcile that, right? As the differential between the analyst and the and the person who's looking at this information and the investor, you know, you got that. I'm talking about up to the point of capitulation somewhere. I'm talking about just, yeah. you know, and this the whole different hat of a trader. We'll put that aside entirely, right? But we're yeah. talking about as, as, as people that are listening – and they're looking at this and they're hearing all of this and they're seeing that we know that long term, you know, the idea is to be invested and just to be smart about it. Mm -hmm. But short term, you can see a lot of action just as we've seen it go up so dramatically recently. But how do you how do you how do you balance those two things, uh, you know, yeah. analyst and investor? Well, uh, you know, you just kind of adhere to, to just your fundamental view. Um, and then on, on top of it, you know, it would just. Uh, tell people to have, you know, certainly a really good understanding of what their risk tolerances are. Um, you know, there's a tendency here now to chase these these names, um, and that's all well and good. But you're you're playing a market timing game that uh, that history also shows is very difficult to win. Um, so you really have to, you know, stay on top of those positions. But 
from an analyst standpoint, where, where I you know take a step back here and say, yes, the market cap weighted SP 500 is trading at a premium to its 10 year average. It looks rich. You know, it's clear that expectations are high uh, for the mega caps that have gotten you to that point. But if you take a step back and you look at the equal weighted S&P 500, well, that's a different story. Um, that's trading at a discount to its historical average, uh, about a 10% discount, trading around 15.6 times forward 12-month earnings right now. And that, to me, is where uh, a disciplined investor can kind of come in and, and, you know, make some waves in their portfolio, you know, for, for long-term gain, if you will. Um, and so, um, so. Perhaps the, the best approach now is not to not to move into the market, you know, buying the spider, but you know, move into the market looking at something like the Invesco S and P five hundred equal weight ETF symbols RSP on that, uh, which gives you, uh, you know, broad exposure, obviously, but each stock is treated the same, and and that could help insulate you in the event you get a correction in these mega cap names. Because if that happens, you'll you'll see the market cap weighted S and P five hundred, you know, obviously have some issues. But if it's coming just because of a price correction in those names, and there's a rotation within the market as opposed to a rotation out of the market altogether, uh, you should see some relative strength there in, in the equal weight S and P five hundred uh, that you'll be happy to see uh, in the end. And isn't that what's been happening? This this uh, this rotation that keep well, aside from the mega caps, right? Uh, but this rotation. I thought last week there was a really interesting. I called it a test of the algorithms. They flipped a switch, it seemed to me, that sold all the mega caps, but kept the markets up. Did you see that? I did. And I was like, oh, they're testing that little playbook Mm -hmm. to make sure that nobody gets spooked. You know, because if they spook the markets, they start selling the spider and things like that, which will exacerbate the large cap selling, right? But if they keep it up, nobody cares. They could sort of sell the things underneath. I know that's a little bit of a crazy thought, or mm-hmm. is it? Well, no. I mean, it. You know, whether it was a kind of a game being played to see what the market can tolerate, I don't. I don't know. But I think you know when I saw what you're talking about, um, I saw it to be something encouraging. You know that the even that the market cap weighted S and P five hundred could still end up on the day when many of the mega cap stocks were all down for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a healthy sign in a bull market, really, that you've got rotation within the market happening, as opposed to money just leaving the market altogether because these mega cap stocks aren't doing well. Um, and that's, you know, something that uh, there were a lot of questions around in the first half of the year when the the outperformance of the mega caps was just so extreme versus the rest of the market. And we're starting to see that gap narrow a little bit. I mean, it's still pretty wide. We've got about 900 basis points of outperformance in the market cap weighted S&P 500 right now versus the equal weight S&P 500, uh, which, you know, if you look at it from a glass half full perspective, would suggest that, you know, you've got some nice, you know, a better risk reward parameter perhaps in that equal weight S&P 500 here over the near term. And especially as we look out to an economy that should you know, from a textbook standpoint, should start to be feeling, you know, the lag effect of all of these rate hikes, not just by the Federal Reserve, but by the ECB, the Bank of England, Bank of Canada, Reserve Bank of Australia, and so on and so forth. Um, You know, we can't forget that there is still some interconnectedness here as far as global markets are concerned. Um, And, uh, you know, that's one of the, the, that's a headwind that we see out there. And, 
And to be fair, you know, a lot of us out, including briefing.com, we thought we'd see more of that headwind take it take effect in the first half of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the labor market has been just so strong, uh, consumer spending has held up. Um, you know, it just it, it's one of these things that, you know, in our mind, it's not a question uh if we get some type of recession, it's a, just a question of when, right? It's the business cycle. You're going to see a recession, but uh, but it's being it's clearly been pushed out beyond most people's expectations here, and that's why I said you know earlier that this labor market is so important in terms of the you know driving the economic and earnings growth outlook, yeah. you know, over the next six to twelve months right. certainly. So, with regard to the um, the 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 other piece of this whole discussion, which is you can actually get a decent rate of return somewhere else. You can get treasuries or money market, let's again, round number at 5%, right? How come that's not like enticing anybody or to the level you think it (laughs) should? Right. Yeah. It's it's a great question. Probably because you can get 17% right now in the S&P 500. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, people are, the trend is your friend until it isn't, right? I mean, and uh, and it has clearly worked, uh, regardless of what any fundamental analyst has tried to argue as to why the market maybe should not be doing as well as it should be doing. Well, the fact of the matter is, it is doing very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all counts, right? You know, if you're in an index fund, so what if seven stocks have led the majority of it? If you need that money, you get the benefit of the outperformance of right. those seven stocks, right. you know? Exactly. So- um, and that's just facts, you know, of, of, of the matter. Um, so, um, it's, it's the gains you're seeing in the equity market this year are stacking up very well relative to what even the treasury market is offering. But certainly, uh, one of the, the benefits of these rising interest rates is that you can go to a kind of a risk-free instrument these days and get some decent yield on it, you know? So that's a big thing for income-oriented investors, uh, um, you know, investors who are in their retirement years. Um, and, and that's been lacking, obviously, for, uh, I mean, a long time, you know, certainly when the Fed has held rates down at the zero bounds. So, so there's a little bit of uh, you know, interest rate normalization coming into play here, which is a nice thing to see mm-hmm. and ultimately beneficial for savers out there. So let's switch up and talk about um, the realization by the index makers, whether it's the Qs or the SPY or whatever, you know, the, the, the I mean, S&P, the S&P company, um, Dow Jones, there is going to be, or the, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a special rebalance happening, right? Right. And do we, what do we know about this? Well, uh, we know it's, it's, it's the result of the, you know, these, these magnificent seven names that they've been dubbed, um, uh, having seen such tremendous increase in their market capitalization that they're making up just too large of a percentage of the NASDAQ 100. And so the NASDAQ has announced that they're going to do a, a special rebalance of the index prior to the open on July 24th. Um, and I believe we'll get uh, news on how the redistribution of those, that, was, that weighting is going to uh, play out here uh, tomorrow. Um, and, you know, so, it, and interestingly enough, you know, earlier in the week on Monday was one of those days where you saw these mega cap names react to that news. I think that news came out after the close last uh, a week ago, Friday. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And so they reacted, you know, understandably, little, you know, negatively to to the news. Um, the index itself will, you know, still be the, the same, so to speak. You just have the kind of like the pieces of the pie being redistributed a little bit. Um, but I think it is a reflection or an acknowledgement, certainly, that, you know, probably the buying interest in those names has gotten, you know, carried away here in the, in the near term. And, uh, and the NASDAQ certainly wants to make sure that, you know, they're not letting just a small group of stocks pretty much carry, you know, represent the whole movement of the NASDAQ 100. I mean, you got to think that that would, if, if it is any kind of a reasonable rebalance, that it's going to force sell. It's the equivalent of a stock being added to the S&P 500. It's a forced buy. And that usually benefits the stock greatly, right? I mean, of course, you know, the other side never has the same reaction because people, most people buy, they never sell, right? They just accumulate. That's, 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 the, yeah. that's, that's how it goes. It's, it's what it is. Um, but, but the thing is that when you look at what's going on with this rebalance, you would, you'd have to imagine that Microsoft and Apple are going to have to come down in value. You, if nothing else, Apple, let's just say that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you would think yeah. there's going to be some sort of pressure. <laughs> you would think, but you know, at the same time, given the tenor and the tone of the market this year, there's a lot of people who have, who have underperformed the market. Um, and and there's, that means there's a lot of people who are just kind of chomping at the bit to buy in the weakness in these mega cap names um, that just seem to be invincible. And even if, you know, say if we don't get the economic, uh, view that a lot of people are hoping to see in the second half of the year, and you do get a, a more meaningful slowdown, if not a recession coming to play in, say, the fourth quarter, um, you know, what stocks do you think are going to be appealing at that point, right? It's going to be the ones that got the best balance sheets, you know, huge free cash flow generators, uh, industry leaders. Well, that's those are those mega cap stocks. And so, so people are probably still looking at this and, and realizing, okay, maybe it's time you know, this is a, a sign, maybe you take some money off the table here after a huge run, but then you have other people out there who missed that run and are just chomping at the bit to buy into that weakness. I mean, we've seen this story before. Listen, you've been around for, for decades in this whole thing. Anytime it seems like, Hey, it's never going to go bad for these companies. It's like, Oh, mm -hmm. a little, little, maybe I was a little bit, uh, little, little too early to be saying that. Finally, I want to talk about quantitative tightening. Liquidity draining. There's been some very interesting discussions and readings that I've had over the last several uh, weeks about, you know, wh whether they're going to start this QT again and whether or not there's going to be this drain of of liquidity that that really was a big part of what happened in the banking crisis of March or that blip, whatever you want, not crisis, the blip, right? It wasn't a crisis. Mm -hmm. It was like yeah. it was like twelve days of angst. Right. Uh, and, right. and, and that was just, you know, of course it was just very focused and every other bank has passed the stress test. We know that. Okay. That's great. So is, is, is this ever going to happen? Are we turning into a Japan or have we turned into a Japan? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do think it, it, it will happen and it was happening before the, the bank crisis. Right. Um, and you know, uh, I guess all I can point to is that, you know, the market, Obviously, didn't do so well last year, but even as we moved into this year and the quantitative tightening measures were still being employed, you know, you had a market moving higher. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's been a well-telegraphed message, um, and 
and and that's important. I mean, I think the the way that the Fed has communicated it in terms of the market's ability to uh, to digest that quantitative tightening, and and even in the same vein, right? We heard too after the debt ceiling crisis, you know, that there could be a liquidity crisis because the Treasury needed to, you know, re, uh, fund its general account again to the tune of about a trillion dollars. Uh, and there's been nothing, you know, we've we've moved to a 52-week high since that debt ceiling crisis happened, right? We've moved up through 4,500. Well, that's because uh, we've, earlier we, we, this week we've disbanded <laughs> the debt ceiling. There, there is no debt ceiling. You, Right, I hear what you're saying, um, but but I think just in terms of the the narrative that you know you might get some real upset in the market because rates would maybe really spike as a result of that uh, new supply coming in and and maybe you know not enough demand to meet that supply. Well, that's been that's been pretty much blown out of the water here, um, and, uh, and you know the stock market has held up just fine, and the Treasury, uh, I believe I heard the other day, is I think already added about another $400 billion to that account. So it still has more room to go, but, but the market knows that. And it's still, uh, we've seen, you know, treasure yields come down even further in the past week. We've seen stock prices rise even higher in the past week. So it's not like a, not like a surprise anymore. No, and I think the no, market has been able to move past that. I agree. I mean, and that's what you have to look at is right. Where, where markets are. I mean, you could try to project out and you try to take a long-term view but uh, if we listen to every single headwind and, and react to every little tailwind, you, you know, you're going to go you chase yourself in circles. Yeah. And, and I think, too, Andrew, I mean, really, you know, having been at this, you know, like you said, for almost 30 years, um, you, you've seen the cycle. Like I cut my teeth on the on the, the dot com mania mm. um, and saw that boom and bust cycle. Uh, saw the housing cycle, obviously. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think in my role as a market analyst and what other analysts at briefing.com to do is, just, is also try to be a voice of reason, you know, and kind of call a spade a spade and, and you know, let our subscribers know that, uh, yeah, stocks and the market can stay overbought a lot longer than you would think. Mm -hmm. and by the same token, they can stay oversold a lot longer than you think. But the market is the market. And um, and sometimes, you know, the, the, the collective wisdom of that market uh, will outsmart any individual analyst. Um, but, you know, there are certain moves, obviously, when you see things move in a parabolic fashion, you've got enough experience on your side to know that that typically doesn't end well. And even though someone can come in and kind of, you know, capitalize on the tail end of that parabolic move, uh, it behooves us as analystsbriefing.com to come out and say, hey, careful because we've seen this in the past and it typically doesn't end well. So just be, uh, be, be cognizant of what your risk tolerance really is because, uh, you know, stocks, uh, what is it? They take the escalator up and the elevator down mm -hmm. at times. Yep. And you just have to be aware of that in terms of individual stock pricing. And, and nothing can, I think, confirm that better than the analysis that was done on SPACs, although it was a fun play for a while. But the reality was always there um, by your analyst saying, hey, you know, by the way, this just, you know, just to let you know, everything that was presented here was on the back of a napkin. But let's play it anyway, because it's got ABC involved with it, you know, um, and then see what happens from there. So, listen, I want to I want to thank you for joining us today. Briefing.com can go over there and, and check. Do you have um, I don't know this answer. Uh, do you have like a trial or something for people? I, I remember years. Uh, I remember there was something. I don't remember, to be honest with you. But did you have like a nine-day trial or something? 
Right. Well, we have a 30-day oh. free trial for uh, for users who come to uh, to briefing.com. Uh, we have two services: our briefing investor service and our briefing trader product. Um, you know, the trader product is giving specific trading calls. Uh, still gets all the analysis and the econ data reviews and and all of that, the earnings information that you'd find on the investor product, but it's tailor-made for a a trader audience that's looking for uh, actual ideas and setups and and insight on when to make moves on certain stocks. Good stuff. So go make sure to get that. So uh, Pat uh, O'Hare, uh, I want to thank you for joining us on the Discipline Investor Podcast. I'll make sure people get over to briefing because I, again, this this is not a paid thing at all. I'm just telling you that it's such an awesome service that I can't, not tell you about it. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm pushing people. I'm pushing them. I'm trying. So thanks for joining us. I'll see you real soon. Great. Thank you, Andrew. Right, Appreciate being with you. All right, bye. All right. And that's going to wrap the show, this edition of the Discipline Investor Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week. I thought Pat was a great breath of information, just a, just a, a hurricane of information, actually, just blowing out, just all sorts of great pieces of data. And one of the things I think that I got from him which I think is pretty important is 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 that that differential and what you have to do and that sense of sometimes having a, a a a brief moment of reality that's you know where you can kind of sit and look back and understand that sometimes it is this sometimes it's that but in the end you know it may be something different that you need to look at and refresh your thinking to think that you're not always the one that's right so thanks for joining me this week every week I'll see you again soon on the Discipline Investor Podcast. Bye-bye. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 